This morning we're going to start a brand new series uh, today called God is Real. God is Real. And we're going to do this for four weeks. And today we're looking at, I think, one of the most foundational questions about the Bible and Christianity that people always, always have kind of brewing on the surface. And that's the question, uh, did God create? You can say all kinds of things about your faith or your your supposed faith, but if you don't have a conviction about God as the creator, if that is not solidly and firmly planted within you, the rest of it is going to be kind of on shaky ground. Uh, the Bible starts by explaining this to us, and it does it in a very, very bold way, uh, and we need to answer that question. Because the culture is telling us one thing, the Bible seems to be telling us another. We don't know where we stand, we don't know where we, where we land when the dust settles. And this is a question that's foundational if you're going to go any further in a relationship with God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first uh, verse of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about that? What did, did God like? Did He snap His finger and and did, or did He use uh, evolution? Or is the world ten thousand years old or eight billion years old? Like, what about all these questions when we look at that verse or we look at the book of Genesis? What about what about what about? And we can conjecture all we want. Uh, about the timing and the way that God may have done it and all of these things that we run off on rabbit trails without sitting and answering the foundational question. I'm going to teach you something today that you can learn uh, as you read the Bible throughout your life, and I call it the Jesus test or the Jesus question. Whenever you run into something in the scripture that you look and you say, well, how am I supposed to understand that? How am I supposed to embrace that or believe that? Pause and ask Jesus the question. Does it pass the Jesus test? Does this verse, which has caused so much uproar, a simple verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's do the Jesus test on the verse. Did Jesus believe it? Did Jesus accept it? What did he think of it? I mean, if he rejected it or if he thought that it was mythology or nonsense, well, then we need to know that. Well, what does Jesus say about the idea of creation? It's amazing what you find. So, for example, Matthew chapter 19 I'm going to give you just some spice of different verses from the New Testament from the lips of Jesus. And here he's being challenged about the idea of marriage and divorce. And uh, it's not the subject of creation, but watch what he does when he answers this challenge from people about whether or not it's right to divorce under certain circumstances, etc., etc. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4. This is his answer. Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Before you get into what he's talking about there, and that's not our purpose today, look what he thinks about creation. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Apparently, Jesus agrees with Genesis 1 and 1. There's a God. He created them. 
there was a beginning. And he continues in verse uh, 8. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Again, he embraces the idea there is a God he created and there was a beginning. Matthew chapter 24, talking about the end of the world, the end of time. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world. Again, there is a God he created There was a beginning. It parallels Genesis 1 and 1. Mark chapter 10 verse 6. You see the same thing. Same conversation. Worded a little bit differently. But from the beginning of creation. God made them male and female. Again there's a God. There was a beginning. He created. Mark chapter 13 verse 19. Again talking about the end of the world. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now. So as we look at what Jesus thinks, he certainly agrees with Genesis 1 and 1. Uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 50 here, he's criticizing uh, this group of Pharisees, these very religious people, and, he, and he's telling them that they're going to be judged because of their unbelief. Uh, verse 50, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world. Again, this he believes may be charged against this generation. Strong passage of condemnation there. But look what he thinks about creation. John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. This is not Jesus speaking, but it talks about him. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Again, there's a God, there was a beginning, and he created it. Is the Bible trying to teach us here? Is Jesus trying to teach us here how and when and where? No. The foundational idea is there's a God, there was a beginning, he created. John 8, 44, again in a conversation with the religious Uh, folk and they're challenging him and Jesus is pushing back and he says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire watch he was a murderer from the beginning he's talking about the garden of Eden in the book of Genesis so apparently Jesus believes these things and it passes his test now that may not be enough for some but when you think about it Here we have a man who rose from the dead, who agrees with these things that are written in the book of Genesis. I'll take my chances on what Jesus believes, won't you? Because the man rose from the dead to show that he is God and to show that what he believes is true. So rather than us being so focused on all of these rabbit trails, you know, I know all of them. I've studied them for many, many years. People say, well, do you believe that God really created in six literal 24-hour days or those ages? Or, you know, what do we do with this and what do we do with that? Listen, can you come to a place where you agree that there's a God who created and that there's a beginning? If you can come to that place, you're on good ground. You're on the ground that Jesus stood. It's so quiet. 
Do, do, I mean, this, this begins to get exciting for me. When I think about this and begin to believe this and accept it as reality, this can change the way that you look at your life when you believe that in the beginning God actually created. It seems to pass the Jesus test. And then we can look a little bit more at the verse. It's an amazing passage Considering how old it is, the cosmos, first and foremost, had a beginning. In the beginning, God created. Uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, some people say, well, the cosmos had no beginning. It was eternal. Uh, Carl Sagan uh, was famous for saying, the cosmos is all that was and is and ever will be. In other words, it had no beginning. Well, I just need to tell you something here, just using a philosophical argument, really simple argument. If the cosmos had no beginning, we wouldn't even be able to measure time. You wouldn't be able to say what time it is because you have to pass through eternity to get here. We wouldn't even be here if the cosmos had no beginning. Because you'd have to pass through infinity to get here. Do you follow what I'm saying? You have to have had a beginning in order to just exist in this time and space. Otherwise, you'd never get here. It's so quiet. You, you, you can prove that just on philosophical grounds from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. The cosmos did have a beginning. And this is asserted in the Bible very, very boldly. And it makes sense, that idea. Jesus embraced it. And you can even easily understand that on a philosophical, uh, uh, from a philosophical argument. The Bible, from the very, very first verse, boldly asserts the existence of God. It doesn't say in the beginning there may have been a God and here's how we'll prove that he exists. No, in the beginning God created. It's, it's assumed, it's boldly assumed that God exists. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 14 verse 1 actually says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Now I want you to, to, to think about this for a minute. Imagine someone saying, uh, there is no invisible, uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, eternal being. That being does not exist. Well, in order to be able to say that with some conviction, you have to be that being. How are you going to be able to prove that there's no invisible, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternally existent being unless you are that being? This is why the psalmist says you are a fool if you boldly stand up and say there is no God. A, a person, when you think about that, would be making a very foolish uh, a statement because they would have to be the deity that they're attempting to deny. And the Bible boldly asserts that God exists. It does not attempt to try and prove it. It does not try to take a little test tube and say, oh, here we are. Here now we know that God exists. The Bible boldly proclaims it, even to the point where the psalmist says a person is a fool who would try to deny the existence of God. In the beginning, God created. It is an amazing statement. 
If you look at the various religions and philosophies and all of those things that are floating around back then and that are still floating around today, you're going to see how this verse counters all of them. So it's kind of ironic we're meeting in a movie theater. Most of the movies that are played in this theater have all of these views in them that I'm going to go through in a minute, okay? And and Genesis 1-1 kind of counters them. So uh, Genesis 1-1 is the answer to, and I think you have it on the screen, uh, atheism. And this is the idea that there is no God. Well, no, the Bible says in the beginning, God created. Uh, Polytheism, that there are many, many gods. Well, as the Bible says in the beginning, God created, not gods created. Uh, Animism. And this is the worship of of spirits. It's not the worship of God. It's the worship of all these spirits, many of them dead. Well, no, the Bible says in the beginning, God created, implying he should be worshipped, not spirits. Uh, Materialism. It's the idea that the world just consists of matter that you can touch, taste, smell, etc. Well, no, the Bible says God, who is untouchable by our senses, created So every one of these isms, as it were, has an answer through Genesis 1-1. Dualism, which you see a lot of in the movies today, this idea of good and evil are these equal and opposing forces and everything's got a little bit of good in it and a little bit of evil in it. Well, no, in the beginning, God created, and if you read the account, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. The Bible says in him there is no darkness at all. That's the answer to dualism. Uh, Pantheism, the idea that creation is God. So let's worship the table. Let's worship the sound system. Let's worship the, the movie theater because all is God. Let's worship the trees. Well, no, the Bible says that God created those things, implying he is to be worshipped, not those things. And finally, the idea, and this is the most popular one, of what I'll call macroevolution. I feel like we're in a classroom today. Are you falling asleep yet? No? Okay, good. Uh, the, the idea of macroevolution. This is Darwinian evolution, which would teach the idea that you all in this room are a product, essentially, of time and chance. If you add enough time and you add enough chance, you can get all this diversity that we see in this room. All these different kinds of people, all these backgrounds, we're told, essentially, are all a product of time and chance on a macro scale. And the Bible would challenge this idea. The Bible says, no, in the beginning, God created. He didn't do it. By, 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 it's not an unreasoned thing. This is, there's an intelligent designer who has very specifically created. We're not sure how he did it. We're not sure about the process and all those things. But we know that you are not the product of time and chance. In the beginning, God created. And this is where it gets interesting because this is where we get in all this conflict. And we say, well, hold on a second here. You're making it too simple. Aren't there these areas of conflict between science and Scripture? Um, I find, to be honest, the more that I look at science, the more I believe the Scripture. 
The more that I study the creation, the more it makes me want to worship God. In fact, the more that I look out at this audience and I see all the diversity, we got all different kinds of skin tones and all different kinds of backgrounds and languages, and I look at this diversity, it makes me think of the power of God. But you do have this conflict, don't you? And here's what it looks like. You have the, I'll call him the speculative scientist on one hand, and this person makes several mistakes when they approach the Bible. So number one, they think that um, uh, uh, science can somehow describe the past. So we can use science to prove, for example, that God did not create. Well, science can't do that. What science can do is measure what's taking place now, and we can develop a hypothesis on this, and we can test it, and we say, okay, now we've got a theory, and that's science. But to go back into, into history where we weren't there, and to try and apply science to it, I'll tell you what that's called, speculation. We're speculating as believers, non-believers are speculating, because we're all trying to go into the past and figure out what happened, and we weren't there. And the speculative scientist makes this, makes this mistake all the time. Or they'll teach an entire speculative theory as fact. And they'll say, well, this, this is fact because... But when you ask them the question, you say, yeah, but you're speculating. You're inventing something based on what you think happened in the past. And you weren't there. Job talks about this. And he asks that question. And God asks that question to Job. Were you there? When I founded the the seas, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? The answer is no. Um, The speculative scientist can use scientific findings to try and ridicule the Bible and tear it to shreds. But this is not not what the Bible is attempting to do. The, the, The accounts of creation are not there written so that people will tear them to shreds and so that a scientist will try and speculate and destroy it. These are errors that the speculative scientist makes on the other hand, the Christian makes several mistakes too. And I've made these myself uh, as well. When we don't recognize that the Bible, to a large extent at least, it limits itself to the idea that creation has a cause. That God created, that in the beginning, God created. When we try and inspect the Bible for time and process and method and all of these things, we run into some problems because we too are speculating. We too are guessing. We too are trying to invent things where the Bible is, to a large degree, silent. We make a mistake when we uh, uh, teach details about creation about which the Bible doesn't. And we try and force things into the meaning there and say, aha, now we can prove it this way and this way. And we bend this verse this way and bend that verse that way. Let me give you an example. Um, in, the, in the account of creation in the book of Genesis, you're going to see that light was created before the stars and the sun and the moon and the galaxies and the solar system. Well, how is that possible? How can you have light without those things that bring light? This is a question. And we can speculate about this and we could say, well, maybe this happened or maybe God meant this or maybe he meant that. But I'll tell you what that is. That's called speculation. So we can accuse the scientist who rejects God of speculation, but to some degree, we do exactly the same thing as Christians. So we need to be careful. Sometimes we misinterpret the biblical narratives to try and contradict what science shows. 
Listen, folks, science and God can coexist very peacefully. And the more that you understand true science, the more that you, you understand the limitations of science, the more that you can understand the power of God. And the, we have to be careful because we accuse each other of things and we're both guilty uh, in many ways of this um, in terms of uh, this argument that we have. Um, God's power and God's nature can be understood because he reveals them through what he has created. In the beginning, God created. Listen to this passage from Psalm 139. Then I'm going to show you a video uh, as we close today. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. I'm thinking of some of the, some of the parents in the room. How many of you have kids? Put your hand up. Wow, a lot of you have kids. How many of you are kids? All of you should put your hand up, okay? I'm trying to see if you're awake, okay? Well, just, just think of this. And, and most of us, you know, we don't, we don't study all of these things. You know, we, we just go through the process, if you know what I'm saying. But look at how the process is described by the psalmist. For you formed my inward parts, for you knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is a rather staggering and beautiful uh, passage. And if you know anything about mitosis and meiosis at the biological level, it looks rather like knitting. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was None of them. I want to use that passage to show you what I think is one of the most remarkable segments of video I have ever run across. And you are going to, to see just for a minute and a half or two minutes in, in a second, um, a video from that, that a few scientists are making commentary on. And they're talking about uh, one of the most remarkable machines in all of creation. You have to magnify the thing 50,000 times in order to see how remarkable it is. Uh, inside your body, there are millions of uh, bacteria floating around. They're swimming inside of you right now, even as some of you are half asleep or half awake. They're swimming in you right now. There's millions of them. And they are propelled by a little tail, uh, bacterial flagella, they call it. And I want you to watch this thing in action and how people who are not necessarily born-again Christians look at this thing and come to the conclusion that the creation is not a product of time and chance. It must have a designer behind it. They're not sure who that designer is, but they sure know he or it or whatever they think it is is very, very smart, okay? I want you to watch this video. Go ahead and play it. One machine particularly attracted his attention. I remember the first time I, I looked in a biochemistry textbook and I saw a drawing of something called a bacterial flagellum with 
all of its parts and all of its glory. It had a propeller and the hook region and the, the drive shaft and the motor and, and so on. I looked at that and I said, that's an outboard motor. That, that's designed. You know, that's no chance assemblage of, of parts. Behe's reaction was not surprising. For the molecular motors that drive bacteria through liquid, each depend upon a system of intricately arranged mechanical parts. These parts come into focus when portions of a cell are magnified 50,000 times. Biochemists have used electron micrographs like this one to identify the parts and three-dimensional structure of the flagellar motor. In the process, they have revealed a marvel of engineering on a miniaturized scale. Howard Berg at Harvard has labeled it the most efficient machine in the universe. These machines, some of them are running at 100,000 RPMs and are hardwired into a signal transduction or sensory mechanism so that it's getting feedback from the environment. And even though they're spinning that fast, they can stop on a dime. It only takes a quarter turn for them to stop and shift directions and start spinning 100,000 RPM in the other direction. And just like outboard motors on motorboats, it has a large number of parts which are necessary for the motor to work. The bacterial flagellum, two gears, forward and reverse, water-cooled, proton-motive force, it has a stator, it has a rotor, it has a U-joint, it has a drive shaft, it has a propeller, and they function. Um, as these parts of machines. It's, you know, it's not convenient that we give them these names. That's truly their function. Remarkable, isn't it? Oh, you're sleeping on me. These kinds of things should get you excited when the more that you look at the creation, the more that you can see the power of God, even when you look at it at 50,000 times magnified. And you begin to understand how ridiculously powerful God is and how he has revealed himself through what he has created. If only we would take the time to look at it a little bit more, we would be more appreciative of it. Now, what does all of this mean for you? Because of some of you, you feel like, man, I feel like I'm in a classroom today. I'm about to fall asleep. Let me, let me take it home to your personal life today. You are not a product of time and chance. I don't care the circumstances around your birth or where you were born or any of that or your biological parents or any of that. In the grand scheme of things, God had a very specific plan for bringing you into this world. And he has a very specific plan for each and every one of your lives. It's very specific. It is very custom fit. It is very much designed. And he is arranging the pieces of the puzzle of your life in order to accomplish his plan and his purpose within you. If he is able to create what you just saw on the screen, then arranging the details of your life is his business. And God is in the people business. He wants your attention. He wants your worship. And he wants you to let him take the wheel of your life. 
and the driver's seat of your life. He knows exactly what he's doing. Some of it may be a little bit painful. Some of it may be a little bit turbulent. But God knows what he's doing as he arranges the pieces of the puzzle of your life. You are not a product of time and chance. You are not a meaningless blob without significance that's just going to pass from this life, you know, and just that's it. It's over. No, God has a very, very specific plan. Have you discovered that plan? Have you reached out to God as Savior and Lord through Jesus Christ in order to understand that plan more clearly? I I forgot to tell you at the announcement time, uh, on October the 22nd, in about a month, we will not be here. The entire uh, building is going to be taken over and they're playing these uh, kids' movies for free in the morning in every screen, and they're raising money. It's a fundraiser, community day. And so we will not be meeting here on the 22nd of October. We're going to be meeting in another place. We're just arranging the location now. Uh, But it looks like that location will have water. And because that location will have water... We are going to plan to baptize people in water on October the 22nd. Let me tell you why that's important for today's message. Because that shows that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. And that's illustrated by being baptized in water. So I'm going to challenge those of you who are in this room. And you say, oh, I want to be a part of that. I want to be baptized in water. I'm a follower of Jesus. Or at least I think I am. May not have it perfect. But I want to be baptized in water as part of my journey. And this is, uh, this is something that you should do. This is something that Jesus commanded that we do to be baptized in water. So if you want to, you can fill out the card there and hand it to me or come and see me because I need to tell the person who has the water to get it ready <laughs> for you, okay? And that, again, is part of God's grand plan for your life. It's a very, very significant moment when you show that you're a follower of Jesus. I wonder if I can have just a private moment with you, because I think there may be one or two people in this room, and this message has you captivated to the point where you want to make a decision. Can I just have a private moment of prayer with you before we close? And I'd invite the worship team if they want to come and get ready, and they will close us out with one song. But just a private moment with you, if you're comfortable closing your eyes. I just want to pray with you and and take you somewhere here. Father, I thank you for each person who's in the room. Lord, I believe that each one is here by a very specific plan and a very specific purpose. You brought them here today, God. Some of them, they didn't even think that they were going to come. They didn't even know where it was, but they made their way here. And Lord, you are singling them out. You have something that you want to do in their lives. And so I wonder, as I look out on this audience, if there's any of you, even just one person, and you say, this message has me cut right to the heart. You have nailed it right on the head for me this morning. I tell you, there were a couple of people who were praying for you this morning at 8 a.m. up in the mezzanine. We've started a prayer meeting there, and there were people who were praying for things to happen in this service. Maybe you're one of those people, and you say, today is the day. I don't understand it all, but I believe that God is trying to get my attention, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus at this moment. If there's any of you who's in that 
in that frame of mind. Can you just slip up your hand privately so that I can see it, so that I can pray for you? Anybody at all today? I'll just wait a couple of moments. And now others of you, and maybe you already are a follower of Jesus, and you would say to yourself, you know, I need to... I need to take a step back and I need to understand and worship God as my creator. I never saw it this way before or so simply before. And today I want to kind of open that new door to worship God and understand how great he is as my creator. Can I see your hands if you want prayer for that this morning? Yeah, a couple of you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it opens a whole new world when you understand that. Father, I pray for for the people in this room today. And Lord, I believe that you are speaking to many, many hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray you would touch people. I pray that even in the days ahead, Lord, they would remember even things that they learned today and the power of God that is so wonderful, so majestic, and yet so at work in their individual lives. I pray, Lord, you would give them courage. I pray, Lord, as they face situations and moments in their lives this week that you would bless them and that you would assure them that you walk with us in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Please.